Good morning. I'm uh, Michael Juby. Uh, my wife Anna and I, and our girls uh, Ann Botts and Vivi, have had the pleasure of worshiping here for almost 14 years now. Uh, so join me this morning uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we're so thankful for this morning, for this opportunity to be with this body of believers, to worship and to praise you for who you are and all that you have done. On this Sabbath morning, we ask that you give us the space and the grace, Lord, to pause and reflect on your presence and to cast our cares on you. Deliver us, O Lord, from the desires and devices and designs of our own hearts, from the evils and uh, evil and temptations of this world. Deliver us, O God, from disease and pain and suffering and even from death itself. Deliver us, O God, from division and disunity and war and strife. Deliver us, O God, from the dangers and the storms that we face. Deliver us from our fears and our anxieties. Help us to remember that your kingdom, Lord, is everlasting. It is not in trouble, and neither are we. And deliver us, O Lord, from our strengths and our giftedness, Lord, that we may grow to rely on you and anchor our hope in your promises. Gather up all of our mistakes, all of our blind spots, all of our shortcomings, Lord, and knit them together for our good and your glory as only you can. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. We just remain standing for just another moment. Thank you, Michael and uh, Anna. Uh, Michael has uh, served on our elder team for quite a while and just been a, a, a great joy to journey with you. Thank you for your partnership. We're going to read a passage of scripture together um, as we start this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, allow me just to read God's word to you this morning. I just want to uh, pray that uh, over the next several minutes, uh, whatever you brought into the room this morning, uh, you would allow to fade away, and uh, the volume, as it were, would sort of be turned down on the concerns and things that are loud in your life right now, and God's word and his voice uh, would be turned up, and you would hear his voice, his word to your heart this morning. Let's begin here in Second Corinthians, uh, the first chapter. Let me read God's word to you. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, that is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." Verse 10, he delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you also must help us by, what's the word there? Prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 2 Corinthians is probably my favorite book in the New Testament. Uh, Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth, and maybe his most vulnerable letter, where he talks about the power of Christ being manifest 
in his weakness. And we see that right here in the very first chapter and the power of prayer as well. The word of God to you today, you can be seated. Hey, it's great to see you. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. We've got a great team here and I'm so grateful for them and for the series that we've begun together on prayer. And we're about halfway through and we're gonna continue in that today. And you heard the word prayer and the theme prayer even in Paul's word to the church at Corinth as he expressed to them his love, but also that that even as they were despairing of life and all kinds of difficulties on their journey, it was really through the difficulties and their weakness, which again is the theme of 2 Corinthians, that the power of Christ was made strong in them. And it was through prayer that they experienced that. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of prayer, and we're talking about that in our series, on his missionary journeys, on his journey to fulfill God's purposes in his life. And the same is true for us as a body of believers, as a church. The power of prayer, the connection of our hearts to the heart of God is so important in our own journeys uh, to the purposes of God and our life. And so we've been uh, talking about prayer and the power of prayer on our own journey. And a series is entitled, Let Us Pray. If you've been with us, you've probably heard a couple of these themes before, but let me just recap for those of you who might be joining us for the very first time, and we're so glad that you're here. And for those of you who might be watching online as well, we started by talking about what is prayer. So if you're taking some notes, maybe you just wanna jot a few of these things down. What is prayer? Well, prayer uh, typically ranks among people as highly important and highly frustrating. And so we talked about, you know, let's, let's just get down to what does the Bible say prayer really is? And prayer is more than just this transaction where I ask something and God answers and, and God asks me something and I answer. It's more than a transactional conversation. It's a sacred relationship. It's a sacred conversation. It's a journey, if you will, between my heart and the heart of God. And I want you to think about that right now. Your own heart and the heart of God and the space between And prayer is really the thing that fills in the space between my heart and God's heart. It aligns my will to God's will. And so we said prayer is the sacred conversation. And it's really about relationship. If you had to define prayer, what is it? It's relationship. It's a sacred conversation and a sacred relationship between my heart and God's heart. And to go even further with that, we talked a couple weeks ago about prayer sits at this intersection between who God is and who I am. And we talked about this guy named A.W. Tozer, who was this great theologian. Uh, He understood the heart of God. He really journeyed in that and, and wrote about that. And Tozer said the most important thing about you, do you remember this? The most important thing about you, like that's important. The most important thing about you is the first thought that you think of when you think about God. So let's just take 20 seconds and think about God. Just yourself, not your neighbor, not person on your left or your right, just you. What's the first thought that comes into your mind, into your heart, when you think about God? And Tozer said, whatever that is in your heart and your mind right now is the most important thing about you. So many things in this world that are trying to define you. Tozer says, and I think rightly, the first thought you have of when you think about God, what's really in your heart and mind as you understand God is the most important thing about you. Because as you think about God, you understand and think about yourself rightly. 
And as you rightly think about God and you rightly think about yourself, you begin to rightly understand and think about others and the world and your purpose and your mission. And so prayer is this journey to understand who is God, that most important thing, and then who am I? It's the intersection between my heart and God's heart. We learned as well in the series that what makes prayer powerful is really our understanding of God. I love what Tim Keller said about this. You know, he said, what makes prayer so powerful is your understanding of God. In other words, your, your, your thought about God, your knowledge of God, your, your understanding of who God is through his word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your heart, through community with other believers, you come to understand who God is. And the power of your prayer really rests on the understanding that you have of God. In other words, it's not about lofty words or long prayers. It's about your confidence and your understanding of who God is. And prayer is that journey to understand the heart of God. And then thirdly, I love this, we learned that the power of your prayers is going to be determined by your confidence in God's promises. So again, powerful prayer is not a long prayer. Uh, Powerful prayer is not high, lofty words. Powerful prayer is really about trust and confidence in who God is. And again, it's that sacred journey and relationship in the promises of God and understanding his plan and purposes in my life. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you, even today, maybe even on the way over here, maybe even right now, are wondering what in the world is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan right now in this job that I'm thinking about leaving tomorrow morning? What is God's plan for me right now in this relationship that's causing me so much angst? What is God's plan for my marriage that's not the way that I want it to be? What is God's plan for this friendship that's causing me so much disappointment and confusion? What is God's plan for my life? And for many of us, we think that when we meet Jesus and we come to understand God in that way, And we put our trust in him in that moment in time when we cross from death to life. And there is a moment where we place our trust and our hope in Christ. The the Bible talks about that. And we cross from an old creation to a new creation, uh, from death to life. But the journey continues after that, doesn't it? And for many of us, we think we meet Jesus, and then it's just onward and upward from there, right? It's just rainbows and daisies and ice cream and everything great after we meet Jesus. Is that the way it goes for those of you who have been journeying with Jesus? We just think it's a straight line from A to B and fulfilling God's purposes and mission for my life and answering that question, why am I here? What is God's plan for me? Here, here's a way to maybe understand this, just a, a picture that a friend of mine sent me. All right, here's my plan up here. This is what I think, right? I meet Jesus and I'm just, I'm just onward and upward until I cross the finish line to heaven, and that's it's pretty simple. Life is just pretty easy. God's, you know, God's with me, and it's just going to be easy after I meet Jesus. Well, here's God's plan, right? There's, there's rocks there. What do you see? I got to cross a bridge. There's water. There's, there's ups. There's downs. There's peaks. There's valley. And then I love the finish. We're straight up. I mean, I've been following Jesus for years and years. I thought I could just coast to the finish. Nope, straight up. And then what else? A storm on the way up. Why is that? Do you, first of all, do you agree with this? Yeah. Why is that? Why is it that I think my plan is just going to be the slow incline 
you know, right into heaven and everything's just gonna be right in front of me and perfectly laid out. And then here's God's plan. Well, here's the deal, guys. It's really not about the plan. It's about the purpose. And I wanna take you all the way back just for a second to Jeremiah 29, because we, we, we love this chapter, right? We're the people of God in exile, and uh, God sends a, a word through the prophet Jeremiah, and, and, and many of you have this up in your refrigerator, and it's a great verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the, yeah. Oh, thank you, Lord, you have a plan. I know the plans you have, for, I know the plans I have for you, that Jeremiah says to the people. Uh, plans for good and uh, for prosperity, a future and a, what's the other word? And a hope, a future and hope. And, and, and it's a wonderful verse. And God does have a plan. And all those things are true. But here's what we oftentimes forget. Jeremiah 29, 11 is given after Jeremiah 29, 7. And Jeremiah 29, 7 says to a group of people in exile who are enslaved, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Whoops, you mean I'm supposed to stay here with all these people who have taken me away from my home my, and, and these, these pagan people who I'm in captivity to? I'm supposed to seek the welfare of their city? And what else am I supposed to do, Jeremiah 29, 7? This one's not, here's, here's, here's my challenge. If you, if you have Jeremiah 29, 11 up somewhere, wonderful. It's a, I, I have it up in my house. Just put seven right in front of it. Put, put, just make sure you put, put Jeremiah 29 seven somewhere around it so you can look at the, the two of them together. Because plan always follows purpose, okay? And when we think about this, God's plans for us always follow God's purposes for all. And so what God says through Jeremiah is, listen, you're gonna seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you're gonna find what? Your welfare, and that one we go, hmm, I don't know if I want to put that in my refrigerator. I'm not sure I want to put that one, you know, at the front of my Bible. But the reality is, is that God's plans for us always follow God's purpose for us. And what is God's purpose for all people? That they would know him and be in a right relationship with him. And we know now as the church that it's through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And what's the gospel? That Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He accomplished salvation fully for us, and that's good news. And God wants all the world to hear that good news. And so that's his purpose. That's the whole reason for the church and his people, to bring him glory and to share the good news with other people. And his plans for us individually always follow his purpose for all people, right? So God's plan for you is rooted in his purpose. I hope you won't miss this. Whatever, if you're asking that question, what's God's plan for my life? God's plan for your life is rooted in his purpose for all of life. And if you try to find your plan for your life outside of God's purposes, you'll never find it. And so part of God's plan here and all the difficulties, the ups, the downs, all the, the things that we go through in this broken world, in this troubled world, Jesus said, by the way, in this world you'll have onward and upward, no troubles. No, in this world you'll have what? Trouble. Oof. In this world you'll have trouble, but don't start, stop there. He says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. 
In other words, it's more than just the plan here on earth. It's about my purposes in eternity. And again, you'll never understand. Listen to me. This is a word for someone in here right now. Someone watching right now, I know it. You're trying to find out what is God's plan for my life, but you're not going back to his purpose for all of life. And my encouragement to you as your pastor is to continue to meditate, to read, to pray and journey from your heart to God's heart, because that's what prayer is, that sacred journey and conversation. And what is God's purpose for all? And it's always rooted in the gospel, his goodness, his plan of salvation, his hope for all people. So I want to just encourage you, if on that map right now you feel like I'm down in the valley and I'm underwater and now it's raining, and there's, it's windy, and there's nobody around, and you feel like, how in this world could this be God's plan? And that's why I said 2 Corinthians is my favorite book in the Bible, because that's basically all of 2 Corinthians. It's Paul saying, I didn't think it could get any worse, and by the way, don't ever say that. Oh, it can't get worse. Yes, it can. Yes, in this world, yes, it can. And Paul's story in many ways, and the plan that God had for Paul's life specifically, included a lot of trouble a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. Go read 2 Corinthians 11, the very last part of, of, of chapter 11. And Paul just in, in like rapid fire just says, here's all the things that happened to me. It's crazy. And then I love this. He finishes all that, by the way. And he says, on top of all of these things, my daily anxiety for the church. So he's like, I, snake bites, being deserted, you know, going hungry, the church. I don't know. It's all trouble. All these things have happened. And then he goes into this incredible um, word about God's power resting on him because of his weakness. And I think just as we, you know, continue this uh, series on prayer, I think so many of us get tripped up on my plan isn't going according to what I thought. Or how in the world could me being down in the valley and, and, and it raining on me and windy and all these terrible things happening be a, a, a part of God's plan? And I want to take us back to our opening passage where Paul said, all these things happened to us, all these things were going on, and don't miss that, we despaired of life itself. In other words, we wondered, like, are we going to be able to go on? What, what, what's going to happen? And he said, all of this happened so that we would what? We would set our hope on Jesus and not ourselves. In other words, we would understand God's purposes and not just our plans. Before you have Jeremiah 29, 11, you gotta have Jeremiah 29, 7. You've gotta understand that God has a purpose and his plans are always connected to his purpose. And Paul knew that. And it was through prayer and this journey of purpose and prayer that, that he understood that and he came to understand the power of God being manifest, especially in his weakness, the, the word journey, if you're taking notes, is defined as the passage from one place to another. And I love that word journey as a description of our, you know, the purposes of God coming about in our life and his plans for us because it really is a journey. It's not just A to B. It really is up and down and all around and, you know, in storms and, and, and inclines and declines and all kinds of things happening to us. It's a journey. And ultimately, it's a journey from our heart to the heart of God. That's what prayer is. And it's through prayer, again, that God invites us to know who he is. And it's through prayer that we, watch this, it's through prayer that we invite God to know who we are. Oof. And C.S. Lewis, you know, he says, we, in prayer, we have to come to God as we are, not as we want to be. 
in real prayer, we have to open up our hearts in all of our lives, even those rooms that you, you have the sign that says, do not enter God. All of that in prayer is opened up and exposed before God. And ultimately, we come to the, the, the prayer that really is the model prayer for us, which is Jesus in the garden, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Your purpose, God. Not, not, not my plans, but according to your purpose, let that be the plan in my life. And that journey, that journey from my heart to God's heart is really what prayer is. And it's full of challenges. And so the next two weeks, I wanna use Acts chapter seven, um, Acts chapter 27 and 28, which are the last two chapters in the book, as a backdrop to this journey of prayer. And this week, I wanna talk about the challenges, and they're real. And next week, I hope you'll come back or you'll watch from wherever you are. I wanna talk about the promises that are found on the journey of prayer. So if you have your scripture, I wanna encourage you to open to Acts chapter 27. And while you're turning there, again, we're just gonna use this as a backdrop for the journey that Paul was taking, and it was always about prayer and mission for Paul and his team. And in Acts chapter 27, let me just give a little context as you're turning there. Again, these are the last two chapters in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke, the physician, uh, wrote the book of Acts as well. Many of you know that Luke and Acts go together as one book. So Luke is the gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry, and Acts is the account of the early church. The book of Acts is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel because it's the story of the, the church uh, starting and then growing and expanding into the known world, and it's full of all kinds of things. And it's really, it's really a journey. It's a beautiful word. Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than anybody else. Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else, but Luke wrote more words because uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts uh, are both long and full, detailed. He was a physician. He was all about the details. He was a first-rate historian, and he's our author. And in Acts 27 and 28, again, just in context, uh, we're going to see the final journey of Paul and his team. And Luke is actually on that journey. You'll notice about halfway through the book of Acts, if you read it, the pronoun uh, changes to we uh, the, from the author. So in other words, I'm on the journey, and the author is Luke, so he's, he's giving us a first-hand account, an eyewitness account of, of the journeys and the missionary endeavors of Paul and his team, and in 27 and 28 contain the, the last journey. And so Paul's been arrested um, in Acts chapter 23. Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. And this really concludes the third missionary journey, the same journey that the church at Ephesus was planted on. We just studied that together um, this past spring. And uh, Paul uh, finishes that journey after he's collected an offering for, for the church in Jerusalem and for all the believers there. He, he goes there uh, to Jerusalem to deliver that and to worship in the temple. And so many people, including the Ephesian elders, begged him not to go to Jerusalem because it was very dangerous. Uh, but Paul knew he was supposed to go there. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that that's what he was supposed to do. And in fact, the Holy Spirit revealed to him after he got to Jerusalem and he was arrested and stood before the council, the Holy Spirit comes uh, and the Lord himself stands beside Paul and says, you're going to Rome. 
It doesn't seem like it right now in your journey, but you're going to Rome and you're going to stand before Caesar himself. And you're going to watch this happen. And so Paul knew that that was the purpose of God to preach the gospel in Rome and to ultimately stand before Caesar himself during, during this time in AD 59. That was Nero. If you recognize that name, Nero was not a friend to Christians. Uh, but Paul himself, according to God's plan, was going to stand before Nero, the most important and powerful person in the world, and proclaim and give testimony to the gospel. So it was through him finishing his third missionary journey in Jerusalem, being arrested, and then going through all kinds of different trials before Festus and Felix, two Roman governors, and then Agrippa, who was the, the king of the, the Jews during that time, who was the great-grandson of uh, Herod the Great, by the way who was the persecutor of Jesus uh, himself, so some things don't change. And ultimately, uh, it was through the Romans that Paul was delivered from Jerusalem to a place called Caesarea. And it was Paul's nephew, his sister's son, who came to him and said, "Uh, if you stay in Jerusalem, uh, they're going to kill you. And so Paul tells the Roman guard about this plot to kill him. And the Romans, this is crazy, uh, line up all these soldiers and chariots and give Paul an armed escort out of Jerusalem. They don't even know that they're carrying the gospel, the Romans are, um, with Paul. And they actually, the Romans protect Paul from the Jews and get him to Caesarea. And it's there that he, um, you know, he waits uh, and gives witness um, to Festus and then to, to, to Felix. And then eventually he makes an appeal to Caesar himself as a Roman citizen. So Paul was a Roman citizen born in Tarsus. And so he had a right as a Roman citizen to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. And so uh, as part of Roman governance, you could not be um, you know, persecuted or um, prosecuted without a fair trial. And so he makes that appeal uh, to stand before Caesar. And again, this is crazy, just in God's sovereignty. It was the Romans and their law that actually delivered Paul uh, to Rome. But it was an incredible journey. And I want to bring your attention to it in Acts chapter 27 and 28. As Paul departs from Caesarea and makes his way to Rome. And really, to me, it's an amazing backdrop for the journey of prayer and the journey of purpose in our lives, to get from where we are to where God wants us to be, and that sacred space and relationship and journey of that. I've got a map, by the way, to if you're a visual person, uh, to show you kind of where they left. So Caesarea right on here in the bottom right-hand corner. And there's 11 recorded stops on this final journey, Acts uh, 27, 28. So lots of stops, uh, some of them planned and some of them unplanned, as we'll see. Uh, there's all kinds of prisoners and different people aboard the ship with, with Paul. Uh, 59 different verses that Luke, uh, who's writing this, devotes to this final journey. And again, you can see where they started from and they make their way all the way to Rome. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing about this while we have the map up as well. Because you'll remember at the start of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you're taking notes, maybe just write that down and go back and look. This is a very important passage where Jesus says, you know, stay in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit, my gift, you know, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the comforter is going to come, the Father's gift to you, and is going to indwell you. So, so wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, you remember, you're going to be my what? You're going to be my witnesses in where at? You see it on the map? In Jerusalem. And think about just a little circle on that. And then Judea, like concentric circles, a little circle further out. And Samaria, a little further out from there. And then what's the last thing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? 
the ends of the earth. Okay, now stick with me here because this, this is really important. We start in Jerusalem. Our faith begins in Jerusalem and the city of David. And really where it ends here in the book of Acts, the start of, of, of the church in, in Rome. Now I want you to look on the map and where is Rome and, and, you know, in relation to Jerusalem. The very opposite side of the map, right? The, 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 the top left-hand corner, the, the northwest quadrant of the, of the map. And Rome, not only was it the most important city in the world at that point, it used to be Jerusalem. Now the power has shifted to Rome because of the Romans. But Rome, and this is really interesting, re- represented the, the literal um, ends of the earth, of the known earth during that time. Remember, it was, it was during the third missionary journey that the gospel crossed over into Europe for the first time through Paul and his team. And now he's going to the very ends of the earth, to Rome, to stand before the most important person on the, 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 the earth at that time, uh, or at least they thought, the most important, powerful person, uh, Nero, the, Caesar himself, to, to preach the gospel. And I just, maybe it's just me geeking out here, but to me, we look at Acts, 28 chapters. It starts in chapter one, right in Jerusalem, and Jesus saying, I know, you know, it's scary, and, and you think you could be next to be crucified, but stay here because the Holy Spirit is coming, and it's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be able to live this plan and purpose that I have for you as the church. And so it starts here in Jerusalem. It's gonna end uh, at, the, at the ends of the earth. Uh, remember the, 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 the angel after Jesus' ascension says, men of Galilee, well, that was a statement because they were all Galilean fishermen, right? These were common, simple, as, as we find out later on in the book of Acts, uneducated people that had been with Jesus. And little did they know that by the end of the book of Acts, even in the first century, by 59 AD, the gospel would go to the very what? Ends of the earth. And who would take Paul there? The Romans themselves, would take Paul into Rome to, to preach the gospel and to stand before Caesar himself. I think that's pretty cool. And it's really the story of the church is the story of Acts where God gives us a mission to, to share his love and the gospel. Remember the purpose is, of, uh, is to bring uh, glory to God and to bring his good news to people. That's the purpose of all of life. And so Acts kind of frames that out as God's mission and then the other thing that happens, is, as soon as mission is given and purpose, and maybe you relate to this, as soon as that's given, opposition immediately arises. And maybe you feel that in your own life. As soon as you begin to take a step towards God and his mission and purpose for your life, opposition immediately arises. And then the story of the church and the story of our lives and the story of the church now, us, because the church isn't a building, it's a people, is mission is given, opposition arises, and God's power overcomes our weakness. And that happens over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts and now in the church today. And in your life, can you relate to that? And so the challenges remind us that God is with us. And there are real challenges on the journey. And really quickly, today, if you feel like, man, you know, go back to that picture, you know, of my plan, God's plan. And you just feel like, man, I'm in a valley. I'm I'm covered with water. The winds are against me. I'm on a steep climb. How in the world could this be God's plan? I I want you to listen to this. Luke records that in, in verse one, if you're there in chapter 27, 
that Paul is loaded up on the ship along with other prisoners, including Luke himself. And they, they begin their journey. They stop a couple of different places, including Asia Minor, you know, where Ephesus was and where Paul did so much ministry. And he's allowed to leave the boat for other friends to come and uh, to supply him and to pray for him and encourage him. And then we get to uh, verse 4. So Paul, you know, after God has said to him in chapter 23, verse 11, uh, you're going to Rome. You're not going to die in Jerusalem like these guys, you know, want to kill you. That's not going to happen. I'm going to protect you. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be a different way that you thought you're going to get to Rome. But you're going to get there and you're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to preach the gospel. So Paul knew like this was, this is God's, you know, purpose and this is going to be the plan. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to work out, but the purpose is going to be that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth to Rome itself and God's going to use us to share the gospel with other people. But I'm not sure how it's all going to work out. Well, they get on the ship, they start going, they visit a few places, things are going well, and then look at verse 4. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong winds. The winds were against us and it made it difficult to keep the ship on course. Now let's just start, start right here. Again, if you're, if you're taking some notes, maybe just write these down really quickly. Challenges on the journey from your heart to God's heart, from where you are to where God wants you to be on his mission to share the gospel, the good news with other people in your life, whether that's your office, your home, your city, some other place in the world. The first thing that we see here right away is opposition comes. Remember the pattern. God gives a mission, opposition arises. God's power overcomes our weakness to accomplish the mission. So Paul says here in verse 4, Acts 27, here's the first challenge. The winds were against us. And what happened when the winds were against us? It threatened to take our ship off course. Now you don't raise, raise your hand, but how many of you would say in my life right now, I feel like the winds are against me. And it's threatening to take my life off course. I just don't feel like it's going according to plan. Have you ever felt like the winds are against you? And for many of us, when the winds begin to blow in our face, we think, well, this can't be God's will. Just can't be God's will if things are, are difficult. And Really? Because Paul is right in the middle of God's will and the winds are in his face. Here comes the opposition. I, I would just encourage you that if you feel the winds in your face, you're probably walking in the right direction. When you're stepping towards God's purpose to share his good news through your life, however that might be, through your words, through your actions, to be his representative, his ambassador, as he's called us to be, you can expect opposition. I remember um, running in Chicago I used to be a marathon runner, and now I'm a power walker. And I'll tell you where it all ended for me. About mile 23 in Chicago, if you've ever run the Chicago Marathon, it finishes right there on the lake. But that day that I was running, it was 82 degrees. And the wind, if you're from Chicago, you know, it, I mean, it is the windy city, right? And the wind was against me. It was against us. And when you turn there for the final three miles, you, you end in Grant Park, but you kind of turn and you, you come into it. And for those final three miles, man, it was just blowing our face. I really felt like I was walking, back, running backwards. And it was there that I, I made a commitment. You know, Lord, if you'll, if you'll get me to the finish, I'll never do this again. I, I, 
I will put on sweatbands and I will gladly power walk after this. And I have, I've kept my commitment, I got to the finish. But some of you right now, you feel like you're on, you know, mile 23 in Chicago and the, and the wind is in your face. And you're just wondering like, is this God's plan? Like, how could God be in this? It's not going well and it's so slow. Well, look at Paul. He's right in the middle of God's will and the winds are against him. And, and you say, well, it can't get worse. What do, we t- what do we say about that? Don't say that. Look at verse seven. Um, he says, the progress was slow. We had several days of slow sailing and after great difficulty, we finally neared Nidus. So all these little stops, if you think about that map along the way. And he says, not only were the winds against us and we're going off course, but the progress was really slow. It felt like, you ever feel this way, that if I go any slower, I'm gonna be in reverse. If we go any slower, I'm gonna be in reverse in my life. And the progress is so slow. And it's, he said, there was great difficulty and yet he's right in the middle of God's plan. And the progress is really slow. I wonder how many of you right now in your life you'd say, this is just taking a lot longer than I thought it would. I thought when I said yes to Jesus and I began to every day to try to submit my will to his will and not, you know, not my will but yours be done and following his purpose and journey with him that everything would just go easier and quicker and Paul says, oh, the winds were against us and it was great difficulty and it was really slow going and it can't possibly get any worse, right? Mm. Well, look at verses nine through 12. He says, uh, not only that, you know, we lost a lot of time and the weather was becoming dangerous. So the winds are in our face, the progress is slow going, we're getting blown off course, and now, the, now it's gonna get bad. And the weather is turning against us. And, and what do we know about this? Well, Paul says in verses nine through 12 that winter was coming. And winter was always marked by, well for Jews, Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And we know, interestingly, that in AD 59, when this journey took place, that Yom Kippur was on October the 5th. And typically after Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, no more travel would be done in this way in the Mediterranean. So Paul says to them, like, we shouldn't be out here right now because the winter is upon us. So it's not a good season to be doing this. I wonder how many of you feel like I'm in a winter season of my life. I look around right now and there doesn't seem to be a lot of fruit. You know, interestingly, most of our trees and vegetation take in a good majority of their moisture during the winter. And if it's not for the winter when you know, things aren't blooming and, and they don't, you know, vegetation doesn't have to support flowers and, and all those things, that if it wasn't for the winter, they wouldn't be able to, to have a spring and to blossom. But it's during those cold and rainy months that, that actually the things that look dead around us are taking in the, the necessary um, nutrition for spring. I wonder if that's you in your life right now, where you would just say, man, I'm in a winter. It doesn't feel like a good season right now. And yet God is with you and God was with Paul and his shipmates. Here's the final thing just for today, really quickly. Well, you say, first of all, you say, well, okay, the wind was against them and they're getting blown off course. Uh, The progress was slow. It's not going the way they want it to. There's great difficulty. And now winter is upon them. It's not the right season. Doesn't feel like it's the right thing. Doesn't look like anything's going on. And you say, it couldn't get any worse, right? 
we'll look at verses 13 through 20. I'm not going to read all of it, but Paul says, you know, we, we, we were making our way on the journey and a light wind had begun blowing from the south. And this was an indication to the sailors that they thought they could make it the rest of the way. So they pulled up anchor, you know, uh, thinking, no, we can make it. And look at verse 14. But the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of typhoon strength, hurricane strength, called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and they let it run before the gale. In other words, they stopped trying to control the boat. The winds had a hold of it. So the winds are against them to start. The progress is slow and great difficulty. Winter has now come. It's not the right season to be journeying in this way. And now on top of all of that, here comes a storm. And it threatens to break the whole ship up. And this is how the narrative ends. I just don't want you to miss this because you might be feeling right now that the winds are against me and the progress is slow and it seems like a winter season of my life. And how in the world could God be with me? And there's a storm. And I want you to see this right here. This is such a stark verse. Look at verse 20. I'll put it up here. Acts chapter 27, verse 20. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Wow. This is Luke writing. He's on the ship. This is before the advent of the compass. So they're using stars and the sun to navigate. They have nothing. Any, any of you feel right, right now, the things I used to navigate and orient my life to, they're blotted out. The circumstances and the things that I used to attune my heart to, I can't see them anymore. And it feels like, look at the last sentence. It feels like all hope is gone. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but any of you feel that way? Another translation says, at last all hope was abandoned. But here's the good news. And we'll finish it next week. The story doesn't end there. And when all hope seems lost and the sun and the stars are blotted out, every way that they've been used to navigating and orienting their lives is, is covered and they're left really between themselves and God, God shows up. And here's the deal, guys, last thing. God's office, where he does his best work, is at the end of your rope. It's when all hope in our circumstances and our strength and our ability and our knowledge and our wherewithal, when all of that is abandoned, when we abandon all hope in ourselves, we find hope and strength in the Lord. And I want to take us back to the verse that we started with in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 that says that we learn through our weakness when we despaired of life to set our hope in the Lord. And that word set, if you're taking notes, is the same word for anchor. It's this great nautical language that's used that in the midst of the wind being against us, being blown off course, the progress being slow, the season not being right for travel, a storm coming upon us, we set our hope, we anchored our hearts on the Lord. 
And in the same way that the Lord stood beside Paul and said, you're going to Rome and you're going to stand before Caesar, an angel appears before Paul and says, and says you're going to make it. You're going to make it. And my promises are still true. Prayer is the journey from our current circumstances to the eternal heart of God. And here's the bottom line. The winds were against Paul and the winds might feel like they're against you and they might be, but God was with Paul and God is with you. And next week, we're gonna move from the challenges because the challenges are really the context and the foundation of the promises. And it's through the challenges we're gonna see for Paul's journey and our journey that God's promises are best understood and experienced. I hope you'll come back for that. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being with us on the journey. The passage from our heart to your heart, from your heart to our heart, that's what prayer is. Thank you that in the midst of all the challenges, the wind being against us, the progress being slow, the winter season of our life, the storms that we're experiencing, when it seems like all hope is lost, that we can place an anchor and set our hope on you. I wanna pray for my friends here today, for those who are watching, for someone in here today that needs to set their hope on you, that needs to abandon hope in themselves, their strength, their understanding, and needs to set and anchor their, their hope in you. Thank you, Father, that when the winds are against us, you're with us that you're our cornerstone. Would you give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us today? And would you give us now, even in this moment, the courage and the faith to obey you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand as we respond together? Say 
Thank you for being with us this morning and worshiping with us. As you've heard his word and sang and worshiped to our great God, there's a couple of different ways you can respond this morning. One is to connect with someone, someone next to you or visit Connection Point after the service. Another way is to pray. There'll be people here to pray with you, um, or you can take a moment in your seat afterwards and pray. And the other way is to give. Giving is an act of worship. And if you want to do that, there's several different ways you can do that. You can go online to newcity.us give, or there's boxes in our lobbies that you can leave something in. We hope you respond to what God has shown you this morning. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we go today? And I hope you'll come back next week as we talk about the promises of God on the journey. Until then, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his attention towards you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his peace and his mercy and his hope in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Love you, New City. Thank you for being here.